2: Welcome to The Daily Face-Off Show, your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis, live every weekday at noon Eastern.
0: Welcome in to the October 20th edition of The Daily Face-Off Show. I'm Tyler Uremchuk, filling in the big chair for Frank Saravalli, Big shoes to fill, and I'm lucky to have
3: Mike McKenna as my co-host today. It was a wild Tuesday in the NHL. Mike, thanks for joining the show. It was. There's a lot of games to keep track of. I'm so happy that ESPN Plus is doing such a great job of covering this in the States because I had my fingers going like crazy on the Chromecast, flipping back and forth between games. From the moment I had dinner to the moment I went to bed, it was just nonstop hockey. It was a great night.
0: There is a lot to get to. We'll also be joined by Rachel Dory later in the show for the number cruncher. But first, let's put two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and get to our first topic of the show. The Boo Birds were out at the Bell Centre as the Montreal Canadiens fell to 0-4. Their goal differential fell to minus 12. I don't know if this is rock bottom for the Montreal Canadiens right now, Mike, but whew,
3: it it might be close. What do you make of what's
0: happening in Montreal?
3: Owen 4 to start the season is not pretty for a team like Montreal that had expectations. And even at the beginning of the year, I like this lineup. You know They are missing players. Shea Weber, don't know if he'll be around at all this season. Carry Price is out. But I wonder how much this team is really missing the likes of Philip Deneau and Corey Perry. There hasn't been the pushback from the Canadians that you want to see. Defensively, they're just not there. They don't have that intensity that's necessary to carry a team in the NHL. Jake Allen hasn't had much of a chance in these games. I don't think defensively that the Canadians have gotten to the level they need to, and it's all over the ice. It's not just the defensive zone. They haven't been tight in the neutral. They've had a really difficult time generating chances because they're just not possessing the puck. It's not on their stick. When you're routinely getting outshot, when you're getting beat by the Sabres, when you're beaten by the Sharks, teams that are improving, but they're not the big dogs of the NHL. The Canadians, I think, right now have to win. They're going into the next game against the Canes. That's a big one and of course the teams have been trolling each other for a year so tyler i think they've got to pull it out
0: a big chance for an emotional win because like you said there's a bit of an off-ice rivalry at least brewing between these two sides they've trailed for a total of 160 minutes this year mike they've only led for three minutes and 50 seconds yeah. and you rattled off all those guys that they don't have in the lineup perry Deneau gone elsewhere weber price not around Does that make you maybe even more concerned here that they don't have some of those veteran leaders here to maybe steer this thing back on the ship? Dom Ducharme said it. They look disconnected right now, and I'm worried there might not be the right voices there to get them back on track quickly.
3: Well, I'm I'm concerned about the leadership in the room for sure, but I also think you've got to expect that Suzuki and Caulfield will get going at some point. They've been virtually non-existent so far. I think that if the young talent starts to roll, it's going to filter through the room, but they are missing that big presence in Weber and in Perry.
0: Kulak and Drouin, only two players on that roster with more than one point so far this season. So you mentioned Suzuki and Caulfield. No doubt, guys, that skilled will eventually get going. Hab started 8-0-2 last year. They were fire. Remember, they were juggernauts looking ah. nothing like a juggernaut early on right now. Let's get to sort of the other side of the spectrum here, where the Buffalo Sabres, out of nowhere, they are 4-0 on the year. Or sorry, 3-0 and on the year. They're now 12-16-3 with Don Granado as their head coach. They're one of the nine teams in the NHL still undefeated. I mean, is what's going on here, Mike? I mean, this is a team we were thinking they were going to be down with Arizona all year, battling and waiting it out for the draft lottery and pff, surprise of the year right now through one week.
3: Well, I think a big part of it is the fact that they have had a pretty easy, easy schedule so far. They've played the Canadians, Coyotes, uh, and have done... You know, an, an admirable job against teams that haven't been great so far, but they're still winning games. Yeah. Like, you're 3-0 and to start. That's not an easy task. And I think for the Buffalo Sabres, I have to wonder, how much has Don Granado made a difference with this club? How much has he got them to buy in? There's a lot of names that are missing from last year. It's a total turnover. Eichel, Reinhardt, Hall, Ristelainen, they're out the door. And you've got players filling in that are reclaiming thrones. Kylock posto has been playing... Some of the best hockey I've seen him in years. He looks energized, the pucks on his stick. he's finishing. Jeff Skinner's played well. Colin Miller on D looks like he's fighting stride again. You just wonder how long this continue, can continue. and when they start to go up against the big dogs again, what happens? So I yeah. think this is an awesome start. Obviously, you're three and nothing in Buffalo, and it gives hope to the future. Big thing for me is their penalty kill. They have yet to allow a goal on the when they have a man down this season. Last year, they were the worst in the league. So that's not just on the players, that's on the coaching staff. They've found a way to make it more successful uh, and they're just buying it. And of course they're getting goaltending, which is, it's funny to everybody in the hockey world, I think, because they saw Craig Anderson and Dustin Tekarski and they wrote the team off. They have gotten goaltending Tyler.
0: Yeah, and we'll have more on that a little bit later in the show. You mentioned the penalty kill, a perfect 100%. How about the power play running at 36% as well? Uh, You mentioned Okpozo and the bounce back he's having. Colin Miller, Victor Olofsson, Zemgis Gergensen and Jeff Skinner are all a point per game or better quickly in the last 20 seconds here. Is there also
3: something maybe about just no expectations and playing like you have nothing to lose? They're the underdogs, the perennial underdogs. It's supposed to be them in Arizona vying for the first overall draft pick next year. Well, it's not happening right now. But I think what you're seeing out of Buffalo is that they got nothing to lose, man. They're skating out there thinking, Mm -hmm. all right, nobody believes in us. Let's go prove them wrong. Having a chip on your shoulder is a good thing in the game. It kind of reminds me of Vegas that first year, that misfit mentality. I think you're seeing a little bit of that in Buffalo right now.
0: Love that, love that. Uh, Let's get to a game that we were both watching pretty closely uh, last night. And man, the Washington Capitals came out against the Colorado Avalanche and just dominated close to 20 shots on goal in the first period. It looked like the Avs were moving at 75% speed and the Caps were moving at 125% speed. Mm -hmm. Like they were just all over them. (laughs) You know, again, it's early. I'm trying not to be the guy who's overreacting to everything early in the season. But Is there maybe a chance that this Capitals team is still in that Stanley Cup contending window?
3: Yeah, I think they are. I think the only reason that people have gotten down on the Caps is because they've been okay the last couple of years. And you always expect a regression from teams at some point. Mm. And when it doesn't happen, we're always, you know, you kind of get surprised by it, but like, this is still a deep team. And last night, it really showed how much the depth of the Washington Capitals can play against any club in the league. They're four-check all through four lines was so hard against the apps. They completely shut down Nathan McKinnon and the top line. Those guys were dash 14 last night combined. I mean, Nathan McKinnon was minus five last night. That shows how Not good of good. a job throughout the lineup Washington did of shutting them down, but you flip that around too. I mean, you know, Nick Dowd had a great game last night, fourth line for the yeah. for the Capitals played a huge role. Uh, I think this team's deeper than people give them credit for. And I also want to look towards the defensive core. I love Jensen. I mean, Schultz has been there for a while and Carlson, you know, but this is a good group on the back end. I think it really comes down to the caps, whether Samsonov and Vanacek can take that next step and become an elite goaltender, either of them in the National Hockey League. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love the move they made this offseason, bringing back in Vanacek after losing him in the expansion draft. And you mentioned the depth. Dowd caught my eye last night. He got on the board mm-hmm. as well. And we always talk about depth as something you need to get through the four rounds of the playoffs. And sometimes we almost overlook how important it can be throughout 82 games to have nights where... You know and this wasn't the case last night at all but nights where your stars your top six aren't there producing having a solid collection of bottom six guys who can chip in with the offense uh quickly here I want to touch on Evgeny Kuznetsov because he was flying the bird celebration was out in full effect last night a three a three-point night for Kuznetsov he's got two three-point nights already this year he only had two all of last year Mike so for a guy whose name was in the rumor mill all off season and even dating back to last year great to see for caps fans that kuznetsov is maybe up to a level of production that we haven't seen from him yet uh speaking of things we don't see a lot of uh how how about felino last night with the superman punch there's been 17 fighting majors already this season in the nhl that one's probably the most popular over at
3: hockeyfights.com what do you make of it fair or foul Oh, I love it. I mean, if you're in a fight, you're not out there to play tiddlywinks and just try to land a couple punches, man. Like, you, bad things can happen in a fight. You need to win. You can get knocked out. Like, I mean, we saw Cassian in Edmonton, you know, hits his head off the ice. Like, you don't go into a fight just trying to get through it. You go in it to, frankly, like, hurt the other guy. Like, I, I know that's barbarian, but that's what it is. And Felino yeah. looking like Roman Reigns coming off the top rope with the Superman punch completely airborne. And there's Brendan Dillon did not expect this. And he was able to duck out of the way. So credit to Dillon. But, yeah. man, like, I used to see guys when they'd start fights, like, they'd toss a left before you'd ever know it. They wouldn't go to this extent. Like, this is a <laughs> – I don't know if I've seen a Superman punch like this, Tyler. I really don't. And you talk about element of surprise. You're trying to catch somebody off guard. It was pretty awesome to see. And I love how even after they didn't square up, like they didn't, you know, tangle up right off the bat, yeah, yeah. they kind of backed off and went back at it again. I thought it was a great fight. It's a two-to-two game. It's in the first period. And it's really showing these the animosity that's happening between teams. The Jets in the wild haven't played against each other, but that's still a rivalry. Yeah. You know, and, and even look at, you know, Philly and the Kraken, they've never played each other, but Nick Sealer goes bananas. Like the some of the memes that are flying around at his face after that <laughs> fight with Jamie Oleksiak. The hate is back in hockey, man, and I am here for it.
0: And, uh, I mean, Seattle's starting rivalries with everyone. I think they had three scraps last night against New Jersey. Yeah. I mean, they're they're all over the place. And you mentioned it. Like the emotion just seems to be on a different level. Is that something you attribute to just the crowd sort of being back, you know, kind of across the board? I know we had a bit of it last year, but it feels like, you know, Everyone's playing everyone again. Things are back to normal and the players are really responding to that.
3: Yeah, I think he nailed it. Everybody, when I talk to players across the league, are so excited to play in front of fans again. The buildings have life, they have energy. And, and do I think the fighting majors are gonna tail off? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that you're feeding off the crowd right now. You're feeding off new teams. Um, the crack in the players, obviously trying to establish an identity for that franchise. But I mean, think about Nick Sealer, and you got the crowd in Philadelphia i've played for them man they go nuts when anything physical happens you're definitely trying to set the stage for the rest of the season
0: let's bring in the number crunch with rachel dory now she joined the show last week it was fantastic and we got a little good bad ugly coming up here rachel how's it going welcome back to the show
2: i'm doing well gentlemen how are you guys doing
0: Very good. Thank you. Fantastic. It was a great night of hockey. No shortage of storylines. We got the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we like starting on a positive note. So let's get into the good here. And no Malkin, no Crosby for the Penguins. But they're finding a way to survive thanks to a really good second line.
2: Yeah, so Pittsburgh's second line. They had a really rough night against Dallas last night. But going in, their second line of Kasperi Kapanen, Jason Zucker, and Evan Rodriguez. Has been absolutely fantastic. They've played at even strength, 44 and a half minutes together, rocking an expected goal share of 68%, scoring chances for 64%, and they're generating a ton of high danger chances. If you look at that share at 61 and a half percent, and the key here is none of them are shooting at a particularly unsustainable percentage. They're all actually shooting at a really low percentage. So if this continues and they continue to be a really good line, I would actually expect some of these chances to start going in for them and for them to start producing at a much higher level. And so that's something that uh, I've been looking at. And it could be something that, I mean, as Crosby comes back, hopefully in the next few weeks, maybe they get bumped down a little bit and they're able to get more favorable matchups. Because, I mean, to start the season, you can't be much happier than, than what those numbers are.
0: Yeah, it may be one of those sort of unintended positive consequences in a weird way. I know that's weird phrasing, but like you have your big guns out of the lineup and all of a sudden these guys, they get ice time, they get confidence, they get rolling and it really looks like they are rolling there with those numbers. The bad, ugly start to the year for the Chicago Blackhawks. Ugly, ugly, ugly.
2: Yeah, I mean, if the Chicago Blackhawks would have found themselves in the ugly category had it not been for whatever is going on in (laughs) Eastern Canada right now. But if you look at the Chicago Blackhawks, it's not just that they're losing, it's how bad it's been. They've given up a goal against in the first minute of 50% of the game. So out of two of the four games, they, they've given up a goal. Then you look at this really worrying trend. You give up three goals against in five minutes against Colorado in the first period. You give up a goal in the first minute against New Jersey and then again in the first minute of overtime. But then you give up four goals against in 11 and a half minutes against Pittsburgh, including two in under a minute. And you give up two goals against in two and a half minutes against the Islanders in a third period game last night. Like, that game was there for Chicago to be won, and they came out and laid an egg in the third period of their home opener. And this is a really worrying trend. I look at it, and even watching the games, I know, Mike, if you want to touch on this, but Marc-Andre Fleury is not getting a lot of help from what I could see. No.
3: Well, and I think that the, the key part to this is that the shots are coming from really tough areas leading up to it. They're going across the middle of the ice. Uh, they're, they're, partial breakaway opportunities. There's players left open on the backside. And I can see this filtering into Marc-Andre Fleury's psyche. It looks like he's starting to second guess himself even on the first save. He's been beaten clean by a couple of shots I think that he would normally get. And that comes through with the way the Blackhawks are playing defense. I mean, they're falling at center ice and allowing two-on-ones against. They're giving pizzas up the middle in their D zone. None of this inspires a goaltender. None of it gives somebody confidence. And I think that's why you're seeing these quick succession goals bringing in Seth Jones and Marc-Andre Fleury was supposed to be a quick band-aid fix to get this club back up I'm not seeing it they have to be better defensively if they think they're going to be able to contend for anything of a playoff spot this year
2: yeah I'm totally in agreement with you there like you look at you bring in Seth Jones you expect that he's now your number one D but a lot of the underlying numbers last year said that he wasn't that and he is getting exposed in the early parts of this year and I think from a goalie perspective, you look at it, if you're consistently having to face the high-danger shots, you don't even have an opportunity to feel the puck before it's over the back of your, like, shoulder and into the net. And so I think you look at that, and Chicago has to be a lot better in front of their goaltending. It doesn't matter who it is at this point. You can't be giving up the high-danger shots that they're giving up. I mean, whether it's, like Mike said, the two-on-ones, the breakaways, the Royal Road passes across the ice, like, the, the defending is unacceptable.
0: Yeah, it's not been a great start in Chicago. The big story this morning, though, you teased it off the top there, Rachel. Uh, it, is, it is certainly ugly in Montreal. There's probably about 100 other words in a couple different languages that Habs fans would use to describe their start. Uh, but what are the numbers you got on the Habs?
2: Oh, none of them are good. We'll start there. <laughs> um, when you have two players that have multiple points, and one of them is your third-pairing defenseman, that's a bit of a problem in Brett Kulak. But if you look at the halves, I mean, I was pretty vocal last year when I said I thought that their run to the cup final was a house of cards. And it was done a ton on carry, on the back of Carey Price and a lot of lucky bounces. And when you lose Price, Weber, and Deneau, and Deneau was their most important center. like He shut down Matthews in the first series, and then Connor in the second, Stone in the third, and Braden Point even in the cup final. You lose him... You're talking about some real ugly stuff. So you look at it, they rank 25th in expected goals for a share at 45%. They're not generating scoring chances at five on five. They're giving up a ton of high danger chances. And even when they get their high danger chances of their own, they're only shooting three and a half percent at five on five. I expect that's going to rebound a little bit. But if you look at it, Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki, Tyler Toffoli, Josh Anderson, they're not really getting to the scoring areas and that is a huge problem for Montreal. They just got Mike Hoffman back in the lineup but at the end of the day if you're going to be giving up a bunch of high danger chances and you're also not getting many that's a huge problem and a lot of that is because they generated a ton off the rush last year and they're not doing that thus far. They're not using their speed and so you end up playing a whole lot in your own end and that's a big problem because then you get tired and that's where mental mistakes get made.
0: A quick bonus one here. Cause we have an extra minute with you. Uh, if you had to pick one of those two teams that you think has a better chance of bouncing back here in the short term, which one do you think can turn it around quicker?
2: Oof. I Oof. mean, <laughs> that's, that's a tough one. I think right now you, I would look at Chicago. Um, Montreal, I mean, it's really hard to lose a top-end center, a top-end defenseman, and your top goalie, and expect to be doing well, whereas Chicago, at least, Marc-Andre Fleury is still there. You still have Seth Jones, and if he can at least do anything capably, then it'll filter down, and the thing I look at is Chicago at least has Kane and Debrinket, and So right there, you've got guys who can score. Like Alex Dabrinkat was unlucky to not have two last night. And so I think the puck's going to start going in a little bit more for Chicago because they're at least generating the chances. Whereas Montreal, I mean, talk about a fall from grace.
3: (laughs) I'll go the other direction and take Montreal, though. I, I think I think Montreal might have a light bulb moment where it goes off and they pick up their play. I just have that gut feeling. It's not based on analytics. I think that they have enough talent in that locker room and they, they know what it's like to defend over the past several years. Chicago doesn't. So I'm just going on gut feel That's alone. Fair. I think Montreal has a better chance. But you got the numbers, Rachel, and I should probably trust what you're going with. But I'm passionate. To so I'm gonna fair- go with Montreal.
2: As a disclaimer, I don't think either of them are bouncing back, to be frank. Like, <laughs> to me, I look at Buffalo, I think they're going to regress a bit, even though they are outplaying teams. Like, their underlying numbers are fantastic. But to me, I think that Montreal is probably not making the playoffs in this. They come back and get Superman goaltending from Carey Price at some point. And Chicago, I mean, they really got to clean that up. The only way I see that going anywhere positive is if there's an actual commitment to playing in your own end there. And I'm not sure that we're going to get that.
0: Rachel, that was fantastic. As always, appreciate your time. And we'll talk again next week.
2: All right, see you guys next week.
0: There you go. That is the number crunch with Rachel Dory on the Daily Faceoff show. Let's keep chugging along here into our inbox question. You can submit yours. hashtag Ask DFO on Twitter. Send us a tweet. And uh, Mike, a couple of veteran players off to just fantastic starts. You got Kopitar eight points in three games. You got Stamco seven points in four games. Which one is more surprising to you?
3: I would have to go with Kopitar. But only because of the public perception, I think, you know, LA has been off the map for a while. Stamkos, even despite his injuries, uh, and being out of the lineup at times, he's been a pretty consistent producer. And Kopitar has had some up and down seasons. Last year, though, 50 points in 56 games started off the year on fire. LA was really good at the beginning. uh, And I thought Kopitar was going to be in the race to be leading uh amongst the top five or ten in the league last year in scoring didn't quite pan out but he's always had the ability to carry the play and now that he's got some players that work alongside him you know five points three assists and eight points total in those five games i mean i'm not surprised by it but i think that the power play coming together for the kings it used to be everything goes through kopitar and it still does Uh, but a lot of times He was generating assists off of either rebounds or seam passes. Now he can go to the net more often because he's got some help and he can get the puck on his stick from other people distributing. So I I think Kopitar is a bigger surprise, uh, but it's certainly encouraging for both because both of these players, top-end centers, they have to be amongst the best in the league uh, to carry their team. And especially for Tampa now with Kucherov out, it does shift more back to Stamkos.
0: And a personal level for Stamkos as well. When Frank and I were at the player media tour uh, earlier in September uh Stamkos was very vocal about you know I need to get off to a good start if I want to make this Olympic team and he wants to be in contention to make Team Canada I mean if you're if you're putting up seven points every four games I think Steven Stamkos is gonna do, gonna do more than just getting the conversation for Team Canada
3: yeah it's a good start you know Let's... for the captain and it's just yeah. he, he's had he, he, wearing your jersey for wearing the jersey for your country is one of the ultimate thrills. I never got the chance to do it. It's one of the great regrets in my career and I completely understand Stamkos wanting that and everybody else through the league having that little bit of extra incentive this season to show well for the general managers running their country's bid in the the Beijing Olympics.
0: Let's move on to our daily best bets—the point of the show where Frank usually throws it to me, but now I'm throwing it to myself. It's brought to you by our friends over at PointsBet. If you're south of the border, check out their points book or their uh, their sports book. If you're north of the border, give them a follow on Twitter: PointsBetCA. Oh, two and one last night—absolutely heartbreaking on the Oilers puck line to end the night. I thought I would have enough to get back to even and have a one-one and one record. We got a push in the New Jersey Seattle game on the over/under tonight. Two games on tap that I want to take a look at, and I want to start with Boston and Philadelphia. It's expected to be Jeremy Swayman and Martin Jones between the pipes. Take that and combine it with Philly, who's averaging a total of 7.5 goals per game, and Boston, who had four in their first game, I like this one to go over. You can see there it is set at five and a half and paying minus 125. I think these two teams can get to six goals, four-two, four-three, even 3-3 three, three and go into overtime. I think the goaltending matchup plays into the over here. And the second game I'm looking at, there's only two games on the slate as well. So slim pickings a little bit. Um, but I really like the St. Louis Blues on the money line here. Vegas is starting life without Mark Stone, who's day-to-day or week-to-week. And Max Pacioretty, who's out a little bit more. Long term, the Blues have been absolutely fire to start the year as well. I like the Blues as underdogs here on the money line at plus 105. I don't, I, I honestly would look at the price in regulation as well and see if they can do that. So, two bets today it's the over in Boston, Philly, and it is the Blues money line as they roll into the Fortress out in Vegas. And now we wrap things up
3: with the best part of the show it is garbage time. What you got, Mike? Well, we talked about it briefly at the beginning when we went Sabres, but man, Craig Anderson. All right, this guy starts the year. Yankee is nine wins away from 300 on the career in the NHL. And, you know, everybody's thinking, okay, the Sabres are just going to pick up some trash goalies off the heap and then they'll get through the season and get the top. One. No, man, like you forget that goalies like Craig Anderson and Dustin Tukarski have different inspirations, All right. You don't want to go out there and just collect a paycheck. You want to win. Tkarski's played well. He's just over 30 years old. Who's to say he can't establish himself as an NHL goalie yet again? He's won two Calder Cups at the American League. But Craig Anderson, 2-0 and on the year, had a huge first game for the Sabres. Played well last night. He keeps inching towards 300. He played games for the Capitals last year and performed admirably. I don't think people realize how bad that defense was in Ottawa that he played behind the last couple of years under Guy Boucher. I know firsthand. I was his goalie partner for a couple months that year, and I got lit up, okay? It wasn't easy to play behind. It's easy to forget that somebody like Craig Anderson has so much experience. He's in great shape, and he still has a hunger and the fire. I love that he started this year 2-0, and I think all the old relics out there have to look to him and say, hey, man, 40-plus, let's go get it. Him and Mike Smith, they're our guys.
0: I I honestly, my take on it when he signed in Buffalo was, why would Craig Anderson want to do that? I was like, is he just signing himself up to get shelled night in, night out? But, hey, he must have believed in what they got in Buffalo, and it's paying dividends early on here. Fantastic garbage time. Before we wrap up, just quickly wanted to uh, give some love to Mike Bossy and wish him the best as he begins his battle with cancer, the entire hockey world standing behind Mike Bossy and his family. Mike, this was a fantastic show. We will chat again. Wait it might be the two of us tomorrow as well if frank's not back look at that a double dose of mckenna and your thanks for tuning in to the daily face-off show here on october 20th we'll chat again tomorrow
2: thanks for watching the daily face-off show make sure you hit subscribe on our youtube channel to never miss an episode